Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, June 3rd, 2019, broadcasting from the Beantown USA studio. Beantown USA is Boston's home for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownusa.com. On today's show, I will preview Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Final, which will be tonight on this Monday night in St. Louis. I'll also react to what we've seen so far through three games as the Bruins went into St. Louis on Saturday night and beat up on the Blues in Game 3 with a 7-2 win. I'll react to that. And again, preview Game 4, which is tonight on this Monday night. I will also react to Game 2 of the NBA Finals, which was last night on Sunday night, as the Golden State Warriors win in Toronto and even up that series 1-1, which now heads to Golden State for a Game 3 on Wednesday night. So I'll take a look at the NBA Finals. And how about Andy Ruiz Jr.? I don't know if you still watch boxing. I know a lot of people who don't. But if you follow me on Twitter, you know I watched Andy Ruiz Jr. shock the world on Saturday night with a 7th round TKO win over Anthony Joshua. I can't believe it. I talked about this fight a little bit to open the show on Thursday of last week. And I told you that, you know... Andy Ruiz Jr. doesn't even have a shot in this and that this was going to be over quick. I told you I was taking Anthony Joshua and the under, and the under was six and a half rounds. Well, I was wrong on on both. (laughs) It went seven rounds, and Andy Ruiz Jr., like I said, shocked the world. I will tell you what it all means for the heavyweight division and really what it all means for the sport of boxing. And then I'll close out the show with a couple more thoughts. You know the last couple weeks I've been talking about this new professional wrestling company, All Elite Wrestling, AEW, and their little battle now with WWE as they try to compete with WWE. And I did throw out a theory that I threw, I, I said to you, if you told me Vince McMahon was actually the guy behind AEW, Vince McMahon, who obviously uh, owns WWE. If you told me that Vince McMahon was behind the creation of AEW, and this is just, we're all getting worked by this. If you told me that, I told you I'd believe you. Well, it turns out there's somebody else in the wrestling world who I'm going to listen to on this. Somebody else in the wrestling world that kind of feels like that's a real thing, that Vince McMahon actually is controlling W, excuse me, is controlling AEW as well as WWE, and that this is his creation, and he's created the competition because he knows how good the competition was when WCW was around, and uh, ratings are down, all this. I don't think it's crazy. I'll tell you who said it, and I'll react to that. Uh, So I have some more thoughts on the WWE versus AEW war. I'll close out the show with that. All of it today presented by DraftKings. Play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using promo code PIC, P-I-C. That's promo code PIC, P-I-C. Why suffer through boredom with your fantasy baseball league by having the same lineup every single night? And if you have a good team and you're in first place or even maybe second or third and you think you could win your fantasy baseball league, If you do win, you won't see that cash prize until the end of September, early October, earliest. Well, at DraftKings, you can win cash prizes every single night. And again, you can put together a different lineup every single night. Daily fantasy baseball, it is not boring at all. Your fantasy baseball league is boring, but daily fantasy baseball is not. So go to DraftKings.com right now and play for free when you sign up using promo code PIC, P-I-C. That's promo code PIC, P-I-C at DraftKings.com. Welcome to the show, the first show in the month of June on this Monday, June 3rd. And uh, my voice, I don't know if it sounds a little weird to you. It sounds weird to me because I've lost it a little bit. And I don't know how I've lost it. I wasn't yelling and screaming all weekend. I didn't really do anything crazy over the weekend. I uh, just watched a lot of sports on TV. Uh, watched the Stanley Cup Finals Saturday night. Watched that fight on Saturday night. Watched the NBA Finals on Sunday night. I really didn't do much of anything. So uh, I, I can't really explain why maybe my voice might sound a little weird, like I've lost it 
a, a little bit. I It could be allergies. I don't know. Um, I, I really don't know. I have no explanation for it. So if it sounds weird, I apologize. But I, I don't even feel like I'm battling through. It's just something. I don't feel sick or anything. It's just, I don't know. Something happened with my voice. I woke up today. I lost it a little bit. I'm going to. I'm going to blame it on allergies. That's what, that's what I'm going to do. But, um, you know, finally the sun's out here, the, you know, the month of the June. We need some summer weather. I need some beach weather. That's what I need. More than anything. More than, well, maybe not more than a Stanley Cup. The Stanley Cup, you know if you listen to me, is the greatest trophy in sports and is something that I'm really obsessed with. So when the Bruins are going after the Stanley Cup, it's even more special, right? That that trophy is even more special to me. And right now, on this Monday morning, June 3rd, the Bruins are two wins away from a Stanley Cup, from another Stanley Cup. They won the Stanley Cup back in 2011. They almost won it in 2013, getting to the finals, losing to the Chicago Blackhawks in six games. But uh, the Bruins are two wins away from a Stanley Cup because they won game three in St. Louis on Saturday night. And the story of this Game 3 win for the Bruins, now they won the game 7-2, to and it really wasn't close at any point. Maybe the first 8 minutes, 8 to 10 minutes of the first period. But, um, you know, if you watch the first, if you watch first period, you know the Bruins came to play in St. Louis. And the Bruins took a 3-0 lead in the first period, and that's where they ended the game. They ended the game in the first period. You get the Bergeron redirection, tip in on the power play. Um, then you had the coil goal, which was, he was set up with a beautiful pass by Marcus Johansson. Beautiful. And I'm a playmaking guy. Like I, I know everybody gets excited over goals and snipes and filthy moves. I was always, and maybe that's because the way I always played the game, I was a playmaker. Um, you know, that was my thing. Like I'm all about the apple. You know, if you're going to give me a pass like Johansson gave to Coyle, then, you know, that's something that I, I'm that's going to jump off the screen at me more than even, you know, the puck tickle on the twine after the shot. Uh, to me, Johansson, that pass was a beautiful thing and is something that I get jacked up about watching the game of hockey more than anything else, a pass like that. And so that pass led to Coyle with the shot and the goal, the 2 nothing lead, and then Corrali at the end of the first period, you know, a little toe drag, puts a low shot through the legs of a defenseman, gets by Bennington, it's a 3 nothing Bruins lead, and if the game wasn't over then, if they didn't end the game then, then they ended the game in... The first minute of the second period, when David Postenock on the doorstep on the power play just put it upstairs and gave the Bruins a 4-0 lead, uh, the game was over at that point. Tuka Rask, 27 saves, and like I said, the Bruins now two wins away from a Stanley Cup. You have to mention the power play, Bruins power play, 4-4 four for four on the power play. And, um, you know, I, I don't feel like you have to score in the power play to be good in the playoffs or, or to win a Stanley Cup because... You go back to that 2011 Bruins team, and they had arguably the worst, I don't even know if it's arguably, they had the worst power play in the history of the league, and they still were able to win a Stanley Cup. So, um, you know, you don't have to be good in the power play. I think you just have to stop the other team's power play from scoring. St. Louis couldn't stop the Bruins' power play from scoring. The Bruins 4-4 four for four on the PP, and uh, now... Again, you go into game four in St. Louis, and if your head is at where my head is at, then it's like, must win because I want the cup in the building Thursday night at the Garden because I want the Bruins, like I told you last week, I'm, I'm getting greedy with this. Because we're spoiled, I'm, gonna, I'm getting greedy. Not only do I want the Bruins to win the Cup, I, I'm going to pick and choose where I want them to win it. I want them to win it at home. When they won it in 2011, it was in Vancouver. Yeah, they always come back with the Cup. You have the parade. You have the, they're walking, they'll be walking around downtown with it. I get it. But, I mean, think of the celebration that's going to be at the TD Garden Thursday night if they can win that Cup. On Thursday. Now, obviously, for that to happen, you got to win game four in St. Louis. And I think that can happen. Like, I, you know, you go back to the loss in game two, and, uh, you know, your Bergeron played a nice game. I think we're still looking for a little more, even for Moshand, 
And he even said it. Mashan even said it. Like, we can be better. And I think they can. I actually think they can. He's he's right. You know, I I, I think the Bruins, even after a 7-2 win, I, I thought there were moments in which they could have been better in this game. You know, on, on the 5-on-5. Five five. And so, uh, I don't see any reason why the Bruins can't win game four. You know, I, I, I guess the concern would be that St. Louis... It's a must-win for them in their own building. You know, that place is going to be rocking. And the Stanley Cup playoffs, they work in funny ways like that. Where, you know, that can really motivate you and, you know, help you get get over that hump. But uh, I just think the Bruins are a much better team top to bottom. I, I just... Uh, and for people wondering if St. Louis is going to start Bennington, Bennington got pulled in Game 3 Saturday night. Like, of course they're going to start Bennington. Right? Like... Of course they're going to stop Bennington. Like, you're to a point now. You've gone with him this long. All right, there were a couple goals you wish he saved in this whole series, especially Saturday night in Game 3. But it's like, I don't think you just freak out and panic and, and say, oh, we can't we can't start him. He's no good for Game 4. No, they're going to stop Bennington. They're going to stop Bennington. From a Bruins perspective, you know, the worries with your own team is, at least going into Game 3, it was, is Bergeron injured? Is he injured? I was watching something with Bergeron. I don't know. Look like maybe left arm, left shoulder, left hand. I don't know exactly what. But it looked like left arm. It looked like there were times in which he was maybe on plays that he was going to make hits with his left side. He would do a little weird spin where he, he made sure not to make contact with the left side. Maybe I was just putting too much emphasis on watching what he was doing with that left arm, and maybe I talked myself into it. I don't know. But if he is banged up, which people are saying he is, who have watched him at practice or at morning skates, my observation is that it's something to do with the left arm. He scored that first goal. He came back to the bench. You know, he's giving the high fives on the bench. He goes down the line. Well, he's skating. The bench is to his left, but he still used his right arm and reached over to do the high fives. That could either be su- that could be superstition. I, you know, I could be reading into that the wrong way. That could just be simply a superstition. And maybe he always does that. I don't know. I thought that was weird. That he didn't use the left hand. And that's when I started looking at his left arm. And I saw him. There were some moments where I'm like, oh, it looks like it's a left arm injury for Bergeron. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'm overreacting to that. Maybe it just was a superstition. But uh, it was good to see Bergeron with a nice game. And then... uh you know, uh, I, going back to something I said last week after game two, the, you know, the hit that was put on Grizzlick. Obviously, you did not have Grizzlick in game three, but, um, you know, the kid from St. Louis, he did get a one game suspension. And I, I told you that, that I could see that I could see zero or one. If you're going to give him a suspension, it's going to be one. It's not going to be more than that. Because I do think Grizzlick put himself in a in a very tough position to take a bad hit. I I, I do. I I think that, and and I know the Bruins don't want to hear that. Grizzlick doesn't want to hear doesn't want to hear that. But that's I think that's the truth. You know, at some point the guys that go and make the play. I I've been saying this for years. He, you know, he, he turned into a bad hit. It it's for me. It's tough to crush anybody. When we break it down into slow motion, when we break these full speed playoff hits down in slow motion, it's just it's tough. But I think similar to the McAvoy suspension in the previous series, right? That that came in from the Columbus series into the Carolina series, you know, where he came up with the shoulder to the chin. I said, by definition, hit to the head like that is what you're trying to get get rid of, what you're trying to eliminate in the game. So I could see a one game suspension. And I, I said that with this kid from St. Louis, too. And, and they gave him one. Um, but, you know, we'll see what, what the status is with Grizzly here moving forward. I, the Bruins can win this in five, right? They can. They should. They should. They, the St. Louis is, you know, I know it's in their own building. They're going to be jacked up. But, but the Bruins should win this in five. I, I need them to win it in five. I want to see that that. Stanley Cup celebration at home because when you might never get this opportunity again. I mean, when's when's the next time you're even gonna be in the final? You never know. You never know. So uh when if you don't win it in game five at home, the next chance to win it at home is game seven. And I do not want to go to a game seven. You never want to go to a game seven. 
You know, if you're the favorite to win it, you don't want to go to a game seven. You don't. You don't. Even if it's in your own building, you don't want to go to a game seven. Anything can happen in a game seven. Just ask the 2011 Vancouver Canucks in their own building, right? Just ask them. That 2011 Bruins team, did anybody think they were going to win a Stanley Cup? Anybody? Did anybody think they were going to win the Stanley Cup? I mean, I, in hindsight, you love that team. And even throughout the season, you look at it and go, this is an exciting team. You know, this is a group of guys that have come together, whether they like their coach and Claude Julien or not. This is a, a group of players who have come together and have bought in to one goal. That's to hoist the Stanley Cup in a Bruins uniform. And they made it happen. But I don't think anybody thought that group of guys would make that happen. <laughs> right? So, um, you asked the Vancouver Canucks, who had a great team that year. If you want to be the favorite at home in a game seven, do you want it to go seven? No, you don't. You don't. So, I don't want it to go seven. If the Bruins are going to win the Cup at home, I we need them to win this game for tonight on Monday night. Whatever does happen, I will react to it. You know, the schedule here moving forward for the show, I think it's going to depend on what happens on Monday night. You know, usually on Mondays and Thursdays, obviously, on the Podcast One Sports Network. Um, but, if the Bruins win... <sighs> I maybe and even if they lose, maybe I'll I'll hold it off till Friday, just so maybe we'll hold it off till Friday, just so we can react to whatever happens then. Because, um, you know, if the Bruins do win the cup Thursday night, obviously I want to have a show the next day and react to all that. And who knows? Maybe bringing a a special guest that's running around town with the cup. Who knows? But um, the schedule, the rest of the week. Follow me on Twitter. I'll let you know what it's going to be. But uh, the Bruins win this one tonight and get the cup in the building on Thursday. So uh, game five will be Thursday. After tonight, game five will be Thursday at the Garden. Game six, if necessary, will be Sunday night, next Sunday night. This coming Sunday night in St. Louis. And then game seven if necessary, next Wednesday at the Garden. Next Wednesday. So, uh, that's what we got with the Bees. That's what we had Saturday night. And, of course, after I watched the Bruins beat St. Louis, and you know what? I even, I was going back and forth. I turned on the DAZN network, and I watched Andy Ruiz Jr. shock the world. And um, if you don't know what happened, I you know, there were some people I don't think that were paying attention to this that maybe didn't even know. The social, me- social media is so fucked, isn't it? Like, for whatever reason, I don't know, the Deontay Wilder love is, to me, I've said this before, it's so strange. It really is. Like, I know his, his record is dominant. He hasn't lost. He punches for power. But is I, I've watched Deontay Wilder fight a lot over the last handful of years. I've probably watched all his fights over the last handful of years. I, I just he's not a I don't I can't call him a dominant fighter. I know this sounds weird. I cannot call Deontay Wilder a dominant fighter because it's not a dominant division. Does that make sense? Like, it's not a dominant division, and and so. What was the fight we wanted to see? Two undefeateds. Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua. That's what we wanted to see. Joshua had more belts. Wilder has one belt. Uh, Joshua had the other three. You know, if you want to say he has the other four, all right, you can do that, depending on what belts mean what to you. But, um, you know, Wilder, Joshua, that's the fight we all wanted to see. And and you you. However you want to... Look, if you're a Wilder guy, you're going to say Joshua was ducking Wilder for that fight. If you're a Joshua guy, you're going to say Wilder was ducking Joshua. And if you read the stories, there is... I feel like there is more documented on Wilder's team not wanting to negotiate with Joshua. Now, who do you believe? Who do you not believe? I don't even... I'm to the point when in those situations, I don't even really care. But I feel like it is more documented Wilder ducking Joshua. You know, but the diehard Wilder fans will say, no, 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 that's not the case. So th- that argument is just 
pointless to have because you can't get anywhere with it because nobody really knows the truth. Here's what we know. Wilder and Joshua, if they do fight, it will not be a fight of two undefeated heavyweight champions. Because of Andy Ruiz Jr., a guy that wasn't even supposed to be in this fight, he wins on Saturday night to unify the, those heavyweight titles and, and, and win those belts. And, I mean, I, I still can't believe it. Like, even looking at the pictures, right? I can't believe it looking at those pictures of Andy Ruiz Jr. I didn't even know who this guy was. He, they had to stop the fight in the seventh round, TKO. Uh, he knocked Joshua to the mat four times in this fight. And this is after Joshua knocked Ruiz down to the mat. When, when Ruiz hit the mat, I'm going, this fight is over. I thought they were going to call it right then and there. Ruiz gets up. He says, I'm ready to go. And he comes right back. And next thing you know, he sends Joshua down to the mat a couple times. And I'm like, whoa, what is happening here? We got a fight. And I did not expect that at all. And I don't think Joshua expected that. You know, I think Joshua, maybe there was a part of him that was toying with Ruiz a little bit early. I mean, the from a size difference standpoint, just from the fact that, again, Ruiz Jr. wasn't even supposed to be in this fight. It was supposed to be Jarrell Miller, but he failed the PED test. So Joshua's camp, this was his first fight in the U.S., right? It was at Madison Square Garden, the mecca of boxing, and... and they need an opponent, and Ruiz Jr. wasn't even the, the, the backup plan. He was the third plan. He was the third guy. They couldn't even get the second guy to do it because it was on short notice. So they're like, oh, wow, we need a, we need a backup to the backup plan. <laughs> we need a backup plan to the backup plan. Who is the backup plan to the backup plan? Andy Ruiz Jr., who, if you look at him, I mean, if he walked in the room without gloves and without his trunks and just in, in jeans and a T-shirt... And I told you, this guy is the heavyweight champion of the world. You'd laugh. Like, you wouldn't believe me. Like, if you've never watched boxing before. This guy does not look like somebody that should step into the ring and be able to beat Anthony Joshua. To be able to put Anthony Joshua, who is a monster of a human being, put Anthony Joshua on the mat four times to the point where Joshua was in, you know, he didn't want to continue. He did not want to continue. I don't even think he really knew where he was at one point. Or he was exhausted or something. Oh, I couldn't, I still can't believe it thinking about what I saw Saturday night. But Andy Ruiz Jr. shocked the world. And, you know, he becomes the unified heavyweight champ with those three belts. Takes them all from Joshua. And now you got Wilder with the other one. What's, he, what's Wilder got? The WBC? Is that what he's got? Whatever, he's got one of them. And it's like, well, now where do you go? Right? And, and, and you know, the, the, the typical thing to say after this is, oh, the, Joshua is not the biggest loser, loser in this. The biggest loser is Deontay Wilder because he doesn't get his big money fight with the other undefeated champ to unify those belts. And I guess, but I, again, like, who do you believe in the negotiation strategy for those guys? Who do you believe wanted to fight who? Those guys... You know, they're always looking to duck. They're always looking to for more money. And, and maybe, you know, business got in the way of a Wilder Joshua fight. But um, I, I don't look at this and go, this is bad for boxing. This is bad for the heavyweight division. I actually look at Ruiz Jr. beating Joshua and thinking this is great for boxing. You know why? Because I think if Wilder and Joshua fought, I don't think that... And I'm sorry if you hear stuff in the background, but they're doing landscaping work outside my window. And they do it to this place next door. And you know what? It's like, I don't know what the fuck. I don't know. I don't know why they continually, they have to do this work next door outside in these bushes. Like every three days. Why? It doesn't look bad. It looks fine. I don't understand. They have to do landscaping once, like, every three days. And, of course, it always seems to be when I'm recording. But uh, I'm sorry for that noise in the background. You can't really hear right now. But you pro they're getting ready. They I can hear them. They're just testing out the equipment. They're firing stuff up right outside the window while I'm recording. Typical. But, um, 
Anyways, when it comes to what this Ruiz fight, what this Ruiz win means for boxing, I think it's great for boxing. I think it's great for the heavyweight division. Because if Wilder and Joshua did fight, and they were both undefeated, and it was champs, I just don't even know if it would live up to the hype. Like, I don't even know if that would be a good fight. I don't know. But here's what can happen. Joshua's going to fight Ruiz again. And I'm going to watch. And I think you're going to get a lot of people watching. You know what? Joshua might end up knocking him out in the first round. Like, I believe that. I believe that. I I think Joshua, literally, when you say somebody you know, gets punched in the mouth, right? I wasn't expecting this. That is the definition of the Ruiz-Joshua fight. Joshua got punched in the mouth. He knocked Ruiz down. In what? The third round? And I think everybody's going up. Everybody in Madison Square Garden's like, oh, let's... I might as well start walking out now. Right? Like, <laughs> this fight's over. And, um... Next thing you know, Ruiz gets up off the mat, puts Joshua down twice, and then the seventh puts him down two more times, and Joshua was just stunned. He was gassed. He was shocked, I think, himself. And I think he was, you know, I, I think he got his tower buzzed a little bit. And... And that was it. The ref was like, you're in no shape to continue. We got a new champ. And um, I think it's great for the sport. But Joshua could come back and beat him. And it's probably going to happen, right? They're going to... They, because Joshua's demeanor after the fight was, was crazy. And even the broadcast team, they pointed it out and we saw it. The broadcast team on DAZN, they, they goes... Wow, we've never seen a fighter this happy to lose. Like, like, and and it wasn't just a loss for Joshua. It was a shocking loss, right? It was a shocking loss. They they're comparing it to Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson. What was that? Nineteen ninety in Tokyo. That's what they're comparing this to. I think it's a great comparison. Did anyone see that coming? No. Did anybody see this coming? No. The difference would be that here's the difference. Here's why. If you want to say you can't compare the two, well, here's why. Because Anthony Joshua is not Mike Tyson. Anthony Joshua will, will never be Mike Tyson. I get news for a lot of people who are just begging and rooting for the heavyweight division to be an entertaining division again. Deontay Wilder is and never will be Mike Tyson. And it's not even close. So don't try. If you hear anybody try to put Wilder in that category, or even Joshua, they are just so desperate to make the heavyweight division in boxing they're so desperate to make it relevant again. Here's who made it relevant again. Andy Ruiz Jr. made it relevant again because I think Wilder Joshua would be just much of the same. Like, I think we'd watch that fight and go, uh, is it is it a good division? Is it a good division? I'm I'm gonna be rooting for Ruiz Jr. And you know what? Here's the here is what you're gonna hear now, moving forward. You're going to hear, oh, Deontay Wilder will pummel Ruiz Jr. Deontay Wilder, you know, Ruiz Jr. has no chance against Wilder. Oh, I don't know about that. I really don't know. But if you're te- when you say that, I think, I, I think you believe Deontay Wilder is somebody different. You're looking at the record. You're, yeah, he's got power. Um, he's got the personality. I, I, but I, I'm begging to see it. So I'm rooting for Ruiz Jr. I think Ruiz Jr. is the best thing that could have possibly happened this weekend. Because all of a sudden, now you got this wild card that I think people want to know what can what can this dude be? Like, he doesn't look like he's in great shape. Um, you know, again, if you walked into a room, if you, if you walked into a room you were in with street clothes on, you would not even believe this guy was a boxer. Never mind somebody who just went into Madison Square Garden and won three three of the four heavyweight championships. Like <laughs> you would never believe this. But that is a beautiful thing, in my opinion. And so I want to see what he can do now that he's the champ. Right? It's it's not the size of the dog in the fight. And I think Andy Ruiz Jr. proved that on Saturday night. And, like, Deontay Wilde is a big dude, too. But, I mean, if Ruiz Jr. proved anything, it's that he could take a punch. It's that he's a tough kid. It's that he can give a punch back. 
And I actually want to see him fight Wilder. You, but you'll hear people go, oh, he has no shot against Wilder. All right, you know what? Let's see it. Let's see it. But Joshua, after the fight, I mean, he was like, it was like he was thrilled for this. He was taking pictures with Ruiz Jr. I thought that was strange. I did. But and there was part of me that saw that, and I thinking to myself, he's going to get the rematch, and maybe he threw the fight. Maybe he threw the fight. I don't, I don't know why. I, I, maybe he knows there's more money in a rematch. Maybe he knows it's a way. If he maybe he is ducking Wilder, and this is another opportunity for him to do it. I I don't know. I don't know. But um, it's just it, it, Joshua's reaction after the fight was weird. But Aunt, Andy Ruiz Jr. I'll be rooting for him to to beat Joshua again. But you know what? If you wanted to give me Wilder versus Ruiz Jr. first, I'll I'll take that too. I'll take that too. I, I'm curious. I just I need to know now because I haven't watched much of Andy Ruiz Jr. I didn't know who he was. Again, he wasn't even the backup plan. He was the backup plan to the backup plan to get into this fight because Jarrell Miller failed the PED test. So um, a huge upset. You know, it, it, it's it's in the conversation with the Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson, but it's not the same because Anthony Joshua is not and never will be Mike Tyson. And even if Ruiz Jr. goes and beats Deontay Wilder, it's not the same because Deontay Wilder is not and never will be Mike Tyson either. And if people try to tell you otherwise, that just shows their desperation for, for wanting the heavyweight division to mean something again. It is not a very entertaining weight class. But I think Andy Ruiz Jr. just made it a whole lot more entertaining. That's why I say it's great for the sport, great for boxing. Some people say the biggest loser is Deontay Wilder. They missed out in the fight. What if that fight sucked? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Ruiz Jr. versus Wilder might be a better fight than Joshua versus Wilder. I'm not ruling that out after what we saw Saturday night. And I want to see that. So I might be Andy Ruiz Jr.'s biggest fan here moving forward. But he he provides some excitement and because there's this unknown now in the heavyweight division. Who is this kid? Who is this dude? First heavyweight champ of Mexican descent. Like, who is this guy? He doesn't look like a fighter. But yet he looked pretty tough, actually, right? Once that fight kept going on. And so uh, I can't wait to see what's next there. And I, I don't think I'd be saying that if Joshua just knocked him out in the second round. I'd say, eh, much of the same. Heavyweight division, kind of boring, right? Nobody would be even talking about that. Nobody would even be talking about it. Now everybody and their mother's talking about it because we saw an upset of epic proportions. So we'll see what happens. This weekend, we do have Triple G versus Steve Rolls. Which, if Steve Rolls beats Triple G, to me, that is closer to Busta Douglas, Mike Tyson. Because Triple G is still one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Triple G, even though he had the draw and then the, the loss via decision to Canelo, um, Triple G is still somebody that is, in my opinion, should be looked upon as one of the best in the sport. Still. One of the most dominant in the sport. And, uh, I, I mean, he's not going to lose to Steve Rolls. It's Saturday night, right? This Saturday. I'm a Triple G guy. He's not going to lose to Rolls. He's going to beat Rolls. And then they're saying Triple G Canelo, the trilogy, could take place possibly in September. Possibly in September. I don't know if that's going to happen. I think that's wishful thinking It's that, that it could be that soon. I, Me personally, I'd be shocked if Canelo were to agree to do it that soon, I still think we're probably looking at, I hope I'm wrong, I hope it is September, but I think we're probably looking at next May, like next Cinco de Mayo, right? I think, we'll see. But Triple G, I don't think he, he's not going to get upset, like Anthony Joshua did. Triple G's an animal. I'm not sure Anthony Joshua is an animal, and I think we saw that after the fight. You talk about a different demeanor after a loss. Triple G lost to Canelo via decision in which he really didn't even lose. That was, I told you, I don't think he lost. And and it was his first loss of his career, and he didn't even talk afterwards, right? He just went right back to the locker room. He was pissed. Anthony Joshua loses to a guy that had no business beating him, loses his belt, first loss of his career. He's smiling, happy, taking pictures with a guy, with, with Andy Ruiz Jr. and his camp after the fight in the ring. But you would have thought he won the fight. If you didn't know what happened and you watched the post-fight stuff 
And you watch, you saw Joshua. Just looked at Joshua. Don't look at Ruiz because he was happy too, obviously. But if you just looked at Joshua after the fight in the ring, you would have thought he won the fight. <laughs> and and so, uh, Triple G is not going to lose to Steve Rolls. That's my point. If he did, that would be a bigger upset than what we saw, in my opinion, than what we saw this past Saturday night. But that's enough of boxing out of me. Um, that's what I watched on Saturday. On Sunday, last night, Sunday night, I did watch the NBA Finals game two. The Golden State Warriors with a huge win in Toronto to even that series up at 1-1. Kevin Durant did not play once again. He's got the calf injury. Uh, He has not been cleared to even practice, so we'll see if he's going to practice at all this week in Golden State as the series now shifts to Golden State for games three and four, which will begin on Wednesday night. That's game three. Game four is going to be Friday night in Golden State. Then you got game five next Monday at Toronto. And then if necessary, game six next Thursday, June 13th in Golden State. And if necessary, game seven, uh, Sunday, June 16th in Toronto. But looking back at game two, and even games one and two, because the last time I talked to you, the series, last Thursday, the series hadn't even begun yet. I told you I'm taking Golden State in six, that they'll win it at home in game six. Uh, I'm not necessarily backing off of that. Even if Golden State lost game two and went down 2-0 coming home for game three, if they were down 2-0, I still would have said I think Golden State can win the series. Maybe I would tell you seven. But now that Golden State wins game two, you know, still no KD. But Golden State, they still have some concerns because Klay Thompson left this game last night with a hamstring injury, though he says he's going to be fine and he will play on Wednesday night. He's already saying that. He said that after the game last night. Um, But Steph Curry, he was dealing with an illness. He was sick. Here's what happened in game two. Here's what happened in game two. And you could look at the third quarter. Golden State came out of the half. Steph Curry was feeling it. Golden State dominated the Raptors in the third quarter, outscoring them 34-21. Golden State came out on fire early on, and then Toronto, early on in the third quarter, and Toronto couldn't hit anything early in the third. So it was a tale of two halves, but really, you know, everyone's going to talk about that third quarter and how Golden, Golden State dominated, and that was the turning point. In a way, it was. But to me, as I'm watching this game, Toronto lost this game, and you could say Golden State won it, however you want to put it. Toronto lost this game in the second quarter. Early in the second quarter. You know, they had a lead. They had a big lead. Steph Curry was on the bench. Um, And Golden State really was to a point where they were kind of relying on Demarcus Cousins. Cousins who had missed such... How how long was he out for? I mean, he was out for a long time. He returned in the last game, played only eight minutes. Um... 28 minutes DeMarcus Cousins played. But in the second quarter, early on, and even in the middle of the second quarter, Toronto had a chance to pull away with Steph Curry on the bench. And Toronto, they were missing shots. But more than anything, DeMarcus Cousins did a nice job, not just defensively, but offensively. He He only got to the free throw line twice and took four free throws. But there were moments in which he was able to stop the clock, slow the game down, made a couple big defensive plays, you know, again, drew a couple of fouls, offensive end and on defensive end, and I just thought it was, you know, it was a it was a two three minute moment there, two or three minutes where I thought Demarcus Cousins kind of slowed it down, and I thought that his impact was it jumped off the screen to me to where they did not allow Toronto to run away and pull away, and 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 if you're Toronto, I think if you're going to look back at game two, you have to look back at that second quarter and say. Steph was on the bench. They don't have KD. That was our opportunity to take advantage, and we did not do it. We had an opportunity to pull away and and just end the Golden State Warriors in this one, and we couldn't do it. We kept them in, and and you're looking up at the scoreboard, and you're like, man, how is this only an eight-point game? How is this only a five-point game? And then to begin the second half, that's, again, where Golden State went off. That's where they went off. So, um, DeMarcus Cousins... A big night for him. 11 points, 10 rebounds. 
His impact jumped off the screen in 28 minutes. I thought he played a pivotal role in this one. Uh, and then you got to look at late in the game. Obviously, Golden State needed to hit big shots because it still was a close game. Quinn Cook, he hit two huge threes in back-to-back possessions with, what, like seven, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Huge threes from the same spot right in front of the Raptors bench. And uh, it was the moment, that's when Klay Thompson came out of the game after, I think, the second one, the second three, the Quinn Cook hit. But two huge threes that he hit in back-to-back possessions. And then Andre Iguodala buried a wide-open three-pointer with seven seconds left that put Golden State up 109-104, and that's how it ended. A 109-104 win for Golden State in Game 2 to even the series 1-1. Iguodala was wide open. And I know people are going to question that and criticize you know, Toronto for that. But that's really how they were playing Iguodala. From what I've seen, that's how that's how people that's how they've played him. Is they give him the shot. Right? You'd rather have Iguodala take that shot than anybody else on that team, wouldn't you? And that's not to bury Iguodala. I think that's to praise, you know, the Steph Curry's of the world. Uh and, and even to to a point, you know, Quinn Cook who who hit that big shot, those big shots. Iguodala buries the three. But before that I thought questionable call. The, the out-of-bounds call that gave Toronto the ball back with like 30 seconds left, which led to the Danny Green three that cut the lead to that cut Golden State's lead to 106-104. Before Danny Green hits that three, Toronto gets the benefit of a call after review that I don't understand. To me, that ball clearly went out of bounds off Gasol's left forearm. Like it hit his forearm. Even the broadcast didn't, like, the broadcast was like, oh, yeah, it looks like it missed his forearm. I'm watching that. I literally had my eyes up to the front of the TV, like my nose was touching the screen. I'm like, this is hitting his forearm. How are these guys not seeing this? And then they review it, and they say it didn't hit his forearm, and they 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 give give the ball to Toronto, which again led to the Danny Green three-pointer, made it a two-point game, which then led to an Iguodala three that ended the game. Golden State wins regardless. But man, that's a call that could have cost Golden State the game, which I think was just a brutally wrong call. I thought it hit Gasol's arm, no question about it. I watched it again this morning a couple times. I'm going, what are they looking at? What are they looking at? Even science tells you it hits his arm because the ball changes direction. It spins a different way. Made no sense to me. Couldn't believe they they said that was Toronto ball. Uh, but... But that could have cost him. It didn't because of the Iguodala three, and Golden State wins again. Uh, I think if you Toronto, you got to look back again at that second quarter and say, you know, how did how did we not pull away? I also think if you Kyle Lowry, you foul out with four minutes left. That was a stupid foul. He's going to get a steal. Demarcus Cousins gets a rebound. Lowry's running around like a chicken with his head cut off, and he just goes for a steal. You gotta know. You gotta understand your situation. In my opinion, he didn't know. He, he, if you know you're one foul away from fouling out in the NBA Finals with four minutes left in a game, how do you try to go get that ball right there? I mean, come on. You're in the NBA. You know you're gonna get called for a foul. It's like a guarantee. How many times do you see a guy like that come from behind, try to strip the ball, if, even if he does strip it clean, how many times do you see them not call that a foul? Because you know the guy who gets stripped is going to exaggerate and throw his arms up. Right? I mean, I think, I don't even know that Lowry did foul him. He got the hand. You know, I don't, I, I mean, I don't even know if there was a foul. But they, you, you got to know they're going to call it a foul. And you got to know your own situation. You're in foul trouble. You want to foul away from getting kicked out of the game. You're an important piece of that team. Come on, that is stupid. Kyle Lowry's got to be smarter than that, or Toronto is going to have no chance, okay? That's dumb. That is dumb. That was a dumb foul. Four minutes left, you foul out on that? You know, get your money's worth. Get your money's worth. Go, you know, go hard at someone who's going to your basket. But don't even do that. It's just stupid. It's a stupid foul. Um... And I think that's another thing that, that Toronto should probably look back on. But Golden State, they've evened the series up. And now game three on Wednesday night, Golden State is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. They're a five-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. 
back at home. Place is going to be rocking. Uh, I think even if Toronto won game two and, and was up 2-0, I still think Golden State would win this series. I do. I just think Golden State would win it. Will Kevin Durant come back at all? I don't know. I, I You know, when, when Golden State loses game one, I'm thinking to myself, all right, now Kevin Durant will return for game two. You know, they're holding them out until maybe they trail in a series. They didn't trail at all against Portland in the West Finals. They swept them. Um, you know, you'd want a game. You you want a game without him in Houston against Houston. Uh, you know, if Golden State wins Game One of the Finals, you'll keep sitting Durant. Basically, you'll keep sitting Durant until you trail in the series. And after losing Game One, you suddenly trailed in the series. I said to myself, Durant's gonna play Game Two, and he didn't. Which kind of tells me maybe I'm wrong on the way they're handling this. Maybe this is a more serious injury than I'm giving it. Credit to me. And so, if it is as serious as maybe now I'm thinking it might be, um, I don't know that we're going to see Durant again. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't. So, they're going to keep us guessing? I'm going to say he does not play game three. I'm going to say he doesn't play. But right now, as I record this, we don't know. Golden State, a five-and-a-half-point favorite in that Game 3 on Wednesday night. And whatever happens, I will react to it on the next podcast. But like I said, I think Golden State's going to win it. I just you, you even see it when they got guys out, they got guys down, guys leave the game with injuries, Steph Curry's sick, and they still find a way to pull it out. Uh... You know, this is this is what the Warriors have been doing now for the last four or five years, and we shouldn't be surprised by it. We really should not be surprised by it. So I'm sticking with Golden State to win the NBA Finals. And to close out the show, I told you that I had some thoughts on the latest in the war between WWE and AEW. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then maybe this is not the segment for you, but if you're a pro wrestling fan like I am, and you've listened to me talk about this the last couple shows, then you know that I that I floated out a theory a couple shows ago. And, and I guess AEW, if you don't know, is all elite wrestling. It's being funded by the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, or the owner's son, Tony Khan. And um, it's... It's a company that wants to compete with WWE. At, at least they've made that They've made that known. Like, we we get it. They had their first pay-per-view from MGM Grand in Las Vegas last weekend. And uh, it was called Double or Nothing. And Cody Rhodes, who is one of the one of the founders, I guess you can call him, of AEW. Before his match, he took a sledgehammer, which is Triple H's weapon of choice. Triple H, who is uh, one of the leaders of WWE. Cody Rhodes took a sledgehammer and he walks back to this prop, this big throne that's at the top of the stage, which is basically Triple H's throne. I mean, you know, it, it's it's what it was. It was Triple H's throne. And he smashes it with Triple H's weapon, basically saying the war has now begun. That's basically what Cody Rhodes said. So you got WWE. Versus AEW. WWE has had some ratings issues as of late. WWE has some storyline issues. WWE is also a company that is going to be going to Fox in the fall. They're going to take their Tuesday night SmackDown show to Friday nights, and that will be on Fox. They're also going to do a studio show on FS1, which I would like to throw my hat into the ring for. But, you know, it's tough to get in touch with anyone from WWE. When they don't answer any emails. So, it probably won't be me hosting that studio show. They'll they'll go a route in which they don't have to take a risk. And they'll get someone that they already have. But anyways, they should have me host that show. WWE is in a very unique spot right now. Because they're taking a lot of heat from the wrestling audience. That is unhappy with the product. But yet, this is not really a good time for people to be unhappy with the product because they're going to Fox. It's just, it's a unique situation WWE's in. 
They got this new company now, AEW, that's, that started. Chris Jericho, former WWE. We'll call him legend. We call him a legend? He is. He has left WWE, and he's gone to AEW. You got some big names in AEW. You got guys who reportedly want out of WWE to go to AEW. One of them is Dean Ambrose from The Shield, also known as John Moxley, who left and showed up at the pay-per-view last weekend in a controversial fashion. But Moxley also goes on Jericho's podcast and starts trashing WWE. I think it's a terrible look. Terrible look. But that's what he wanted to do. He wants to build the drama. So the drama is building with these two companies. It's WWE versus AEW. A theory that I floated on a show last week or the week before, I forget when it was, was that if you told me Vince McMahon was actually the creator, the secret behind-the-scenes creator of AEW, and was actually pulling the strings, he was the guy running AEW behind the scenes, and he just has put other people in charge of this venture, of this new company. And he was going to, in a time in which WWE was hurting for ratings, and there needed to be something, like, there needed to be, there needed to be a, a shot of energy into the pro wrestling world. And so Vince said, we're going to create competition, because that's when it was at its peak. The Monday Night Wars. WWE versus WCW. Remember that? That's when it was at its best. You had NWO. You had DX. You had Stone Cold. The Rock. And on the other side, you had Sting. And, you know, uh, it, it was, that's when it was at its peak. Obviously, Vince McMahon bought WCW. You know, I always, there, there was part of me that has always thought and always wondered how long did Vince actually own WCW for? Did he own it longer than we we are led to believe? Knowing that the competition was great and that, you know, I, I mean, if you told me, if you told me Vince McMahon bought WCW 10 years before all the, the drama of him actually buying it, and them turning it into a storyline, I'd believe you. I'd also believe you, like I told you, if Vince McMahon was running AEW, I'd believe you. Well, I'm not the only one who has floated this theory out there. Over the weekend, I read some tweets from Vince Russo. If you follow wrestling, you know who Vince Russo is. Uh, Formerly worked creative at WWF, WCW... Was he a TNA too? Was he at ECW? I don't. Either way, Vince Russo. He, you know who he is if you follow pro wrestling. If you don't, he's worked in creative in all of these companies in the biggest moments, and uh, I'm I'm sure he still has connections. I, I, I'm sure that you know he his creativity has not left him. I'm uh, he is always probably thinking of ways the product could be better. I don't know. Does this guy have his own show, his own podcast? I don't know. If he does, I don't listen to it. But I did see him on Twitter talking about the connection and the potential relationship between WWE and AEW. And I was sort of fascinated that he has gone all in on this theory that WWE and AEW are in bed together. That they have partnered up. That this is all a work. That, that we are getting worked by this. Thinking that this is some sort of crazy competition that John Moxley hates WWE, that Chris Jericho now hates WWE, that Cody Rhodes hates WWE. Now Goldust calls it prison. Uh, he's glad he escaped prison. Hates WWE. Brett the Hitman Hot shows up at the AEW Double Nothing pay-per-view and reveals the AEW World Championship, the brand new World Championship. He now hates WWE. Give me some other guys. There's some other guys too. I because I went on a rant last week about how I despised seeing WWE superstars praise the AEW Double or Nothing show. I'm like, have a little loyalty. Clearly, this is a competition. Have a little loyalty to your own brand, please. Little loyalty. 
I wanted to see that. Um, but I also told you that if Vince McMahon created AEW <laughs> for the purpose of creating a competition, I would not be shocked. Here's Vince Russo's tweet. I'm going to read you his tweets. Here's his tweets. And he tweets this after he watched Raw and after Sami Zayn mentioned AEW in a ring on Raw. Again, doesn't make sense for WWE to mention AEW, especially this soon. Doesn't really make sense, I told you, for the WWE, knowing that Dean Ambrose's contract was up, to send him out on the highest note possible by creating a whole special for him, one last ride with the Shield, and they did an event, and they gave him the mic. They let him cut a promo. They knew he was on his way out, and some people like, oh, they didn't know he was going to AEW. Oh, come on. Come on. You mean to tell me Vince McMahon, Triple H, didn't know he was going to AEW? Please. Unless they're the ones that sent him to AEW, which means they'll tell you they had no idea. Why else? Think about it. Why would they pump up Dean Ambrose on his way out? When's the last time? And I said it as they were doing it. I, I you know, I said, why are they? When have they done this for someone? A guy they offered him a contract. Reportedly, he turns it down. He says he doesn't want to be in WWE anymore. And yet, and yet, they're still like letting him have his moment. Like when WWE doesn't do that. Vince McMahon does. Vince McMahon is a ruthless motherfucker. He is. He is a ruthless motherfucker. You know why he is a ruthless motherfucker? Because he can be a ruthless motherfucker because it works for him. All of a sudden, Vince McMahon has stopped being a ruthless motherfucker for Dean Ambrose? For who? For who? John Moxley? I don't even know who do I didn't even know who John Moxley was till they that they told me who he was after he wasn't Dean Ambrose anymore. And he's only popular now with AEW because Vince McMahon created Dean Ambrose. If Vince McMahon didn't make Dean Ambrose a member of the Shield, AEW would not even want Dean Ambrose. They would not even want John Moxley because it wouldn't be that big of a deal because he wouldn't be that big of a deal. But he is that big of a deal because of Vince McMahon. But he doesn't want to return to WWE. But yet, they go against everything they've ever done for him in this moment to sort of send him out in a high note, to pump his tires on his way out, makes no sense. Unless you're creating the AEW moment for them. And if you're creating the AEW moment for John Moxley, for Chris Jericho, for Cody Rhodes, for Tony Khan, for the Young Bucks, for Kenny Omega, if you're doing that, then maybe you do run AEW. And... So, Vince Russo, he saw Sami Zayn mention AEW on Raw, and this is what he tweeted out on May the 28th. He tweets out, watching Raw on DVR, unless WWE is in bed with AEW wrestling, they have absolutely lost their minds by acknowledging them on their flagship show. Number one never acknowledges number two. Conspiracy? Not when you look at Paul Heyman, ECW, being in bed with WWE from the jump. And tweet. Russo tweets another one. Not too long after that. Here's what Russo tweets. Quote, There's no question that WWE and AEW wrestling are in bed together. None. Several things don't add up. When you look at the entire picture, it becomes evident. I'm going to invite, and then he throws some name out, on the new truth with consequences to lay this all out. Bro, you're being worked. End tweet. He also tweeted out something about the Dean Ambrose theory that I just told you. How they pumped him out. They pumped him up on the way out, which made no sense. The only reason that makes sense is if Russo's right and my theory ends up being correct somehow. That Vince McMahon has actually, you know, like Cody Rhodes, all this hatred he's shown for WWE, all it's been is like a recruitment process for the Bucks. He's recruited Kenny Omega. 
And then you got Jericho. Vince McMahon has sent Jericho to help out. And they, because you did hear a report that, that WWE offered the Bucks, Kenny Omega, Jericho, Cody, all those guys, a huge contract before starting AEW. And what was the, it was like, well, the number that, that was out there is crazy. But it's like, oh, they all turned it down. It's like, why are we hearing about that? If you put it all together, I don't, and I've tweeted this out and people are like, oh, to believe Vince Russo, you're nuts. And I'm like, why? Well, he doesn't, he, he hasn't been involved in, in the W in professional wrestling. He has, and he knows. And, and I don't know that he's just, that this is just his opinion. And because I've thought of it previously, and I told you, if you told me that Vincent Mann actually started AEW behind the scenes in order to create competition and, and who knows what you'll see next. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked. And the partnership with TNT, I mean, again, Vince McMahon bought WCW. They were on TNT. Vince McMahon has relationships with other networks. I, I just, I, I, I'm not ruling it out. I'm not ruling it out that Vince McMahon started all elite wrestling because, and, and he put Cody Rhodes and Chris Jericho up to this and that they're actually working for WWE. And so is Tony Khan and we're all just getting worked. But ever Vince is like, you know, this is best for business. What's best for business. That's his phrase. What is best for business right now? Just to have one company whose ratings are down and everyone's complaining and bitching and moaning and you're going to Fox. No, 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 no. What's best for business is let's get some competition. Let's freshen this thing up. Right? Let, let, let's get wrestlers chirping back and forth. Let's get Cody Rhodes to start a feud with Triple H. I, you know, I told you last week, a, a buddy of mine, I, I showed him the video of Cody Rhodes smashing the throne with the sledgehammer. And the first thing he said was, Oh, you're not, I mean, you're not buying this, are you? And I'm, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, it's going to be Cody versus Triple H at WrestleMania in three years. And like, in a way, he's right. It probably will be. And if it's not WrestleMania, it'll be this new pay-per-view that they create that's like a mix of everybody from, it's a crossover pay-per-view. Right? Like, wouldn't that be phenomenal if there's a crossover pay-per-view? Where Cody Rhodes does get to meet Triple H. Where, you know, you get guys from Ring of Honor and New Japan to take on guys from WWE. Like, Chris Jericho could fight somebody. I mean, you already see with Chris Jericho. He fights guys from New Japan now. You know, maybe WWE wants in on that. And maybe AEW is just a WWE creation. Vince Russo believes it is. And... And I'm starting to think he's right. I am. So let's see. Let, let's see what else goes on with this. Because I'm I'm more curious than ever before, to be honest. To see where, they, where AEW and the WWE feud, and I say feud with quotations. Is it a feud if it's a create a Vince if it's all a Vince McMahon creation they want you to think it's a few that's the beauty of professional wrestling now I'm not knocking it believe I'm not knocking it I, Vince Russo even says he's not knocking it we're not knocking this we're not knocking this but it's the only thing that really makes sense based on all the stuff that's going on with it that comes along with it is that Vince McMahon created AEW because that's what's best for the wrestling business right now and it's great. I mean, there are, you know, people still talk about the Montreal screw job as if Brett the Hitman Hot actually got screwed. And it's funny, like, I am someone that believes, like, maybe he, you know, he's, I maybe still believes that Brett did get screwed by Vince. And, and that, you know, years later, they're still doing documentaries on it. You know, and that Brett Hot knocked out Vince McMahon afterwards in the locker room. I have friends who don't watch wrestling at all, and I tell them this story, and they're like, "Pick, you're being worked." Like, <laughs> like, like, they've they created a story inside the story for the purpose of everybody to continue to tell that story years later. It never really happened. 
Brett never really got screwed. And the latest documentary that they showed, what was it, on Vice? Or Viceland, or whatever it's called? They A month ago, they had a new documentary. And I think it was Scott Hall. You know, they were interviewing him. And he was like, there's no way Brett didn't know. It sounds to me like Scott Hall believes that Brett never got screwed. That this was just part of the show. And part of the show was to create a historical moment that they would be able to do these documentaries on. Like, but that, if they, let's say they did that. That's the genius of these guys. That's the genius of their business. They're in the entertainment industry. You know, these guys are actors. This is drama. This is entertainment. They've created a made-up storyline, possibly with the Montreal Screwjob, that everybody still talks about years later as if it was a real thing. Which means it's a genius move on their part. It's possible that, that, that Brett knew that there was really no Screwjob. And they're still all playing it up to be. Like there was one. And it's possible that Vince McMahon created AEW. I believe that. I believe that. And I... It, and I'm not knocking it. I'm going to watch. I think it's exciting. If he did, it's a genius idea. And I think it'll be entertaining to at least think about that theory and keep an eye on some of the things that both of these companies do now moving forward. But those are my thoughts on it. I had to share that because I'm glad that somebody shares that theory. Some people think I'm nuts to, to believe Vince Russo or even give him the time of day to listen to him. I don't know why. I mean, he's been there. He's been in the trenches. He knows what's up. And so uh, it's a theory that I had before even hearing him say it. And I'm just, you know, when somebody in the business there actually thinks the same thing, you know, it kind of makes me feel like maybe I'm going down a more correct path than some people uh, initially believed I was. Whatever happens, moving forward, I'll react to it. As you know, get this show whenever you want at Podcast One. Also on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. Enjoy the rest of your week. Again, I'm not sure if I'll be here Thursday or Friday uh, because of, well, we don't know. Will the Stanley Cup be in the building Thursday night at the Garden? That could change some things with this schedule. I'll let you know again on Twitter. Follow me at Danny Picard. Uh, But again, enjoy the rest of your week. I am out. Talk to you later on this week.